We're going to start our series in Daniel for the next eight weeks. Daniel's in the Old Testament. Good, all right. You got to laugh. You guys should know that. How many in here like roller coasters? Yeah, I love roller coasters. Up to about maybe last year. There's something, I, I love the thrill. I love the terror of them. But there's something with my stomach. When I was in high school and college, man, we, we'd ride roller coasters. It was just so much fun. It was, it was the thrill, wasn't it? It was the ride. It was not knowing what was coming around the corner. And when you went through those tunnels, it's like, oh, man, what is going on? Why do we like that stuff? Well, it's something different. It's exhilarating. We would not like those kind of feelings driving a car or a motorcycle. For us who have kids, we've experienced that when we rode with our children, right? We got in the car for the first time, oh man, we are going to die. In fact, I remember one time when Mason was little, Megan was learning to drive, and they, she took them to school for the first time, and I was in the front seat, and Megan, Mason was, was it Mason, was you or Mariah? I think it was Mason, we're gonna die! When Megan got behind the wheel. The reason roller coasters are so exhilarating is because we're not in control of it. That 15-year-old kid behind the counter that's pushing the button is in control of it. <laughs> well, life is that same way. Life goes up and down and around. There's tragedy, there's struggle, like we've been talking about. It's designed, life is designed for us to put our trust not in ourselves but in God. And as we'll see in the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel, as we'll start off this morning, is that book. And we look at the book and say, man, God is sovereign king over all. Through everything we'll find out in the book of Daniel. He sets up kingdoms. He sets up kings for his story, for his story. So today we're going to talk about being faithful in a hostile culture and environment. I love when we read the book of Daniel, it really books in the, in, in the Old Testament, and you see how everything is just integrated. So many times we, okay, the Old Testament's here, New Testament's here, but the common theme and the common person this book is about is who? Good answer. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. So today we're going to learn about a young man who lived faithfully in a hostile culture. The book of Daniel in the Old Testament is like Revelation to the New Testament. The outline of Daniel is very simple. Chapters 1 through 6 is Daniel's life, his history, how he got to Babylon, what he was doing, what his job was going to be in Babylon. And chapters 7 through 12 is prophecy. It's future events. So two points, very simple. I have to keep things simple for myself. Who's the author of Daniel? Someone said God. Yes, you're right, God. But Daniel, Daniel is the author. And Jesus tells us this. Look at Matthew 24, 15. You don't need to turn there, but Jesus says this. When you see the abomination of desolation, desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, okay, Jesus is talking about mid-tribulation. He's saying Daniel wrote that in Daniel chapter 9. So who was this Daniel that we are so familiar with? I want us to get out of our minds. I know growing up in a Christian home, we had family Bibles around, and growing up in Sunday school, you had these, these cartoon images of Daniel as this old man running around with a cane, you know, trying to knock off lions that are coming. It, it, it's just false theology. Daniel, 
He was a Jewish teenager. Actually, he was a refugee to Babylon. Think about it that way. He was between the ages of 14 and 17 years of age. Him and his three friends. So if you're between the ages of 14, let's say 18, please stand. Come on. I'm going to make you stand. Chris, stand up. Here we go, Morgan, Rachel, Chris. No, stay, stay standing. Here we go. Stand. Congregation, look at them. This, listen, this was the age of Daniel and his three friends. Actually, we, you guys can be seated. I won't embarrass you anymore. Actually, it's believed that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who are formerly known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were actually probably younger than Daniel. But did you see these young people? This is the age that Daniel was taken out of his home, 800 miles away, never to be seen again. Moms and dads, how would you handle that? Daniel lived in Babylon for 70 years and ministered and served under four different kings. King Nebuchadnezzar, King Belshazzar, King Darius, and King Cyrus. We'll come back and talk a little bit more about those rulers later on. But you see the map there. From Jerusalem to Babylon, 800 miles. Young people taken from their homes. So let's get right into it. Verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. What's this verse tell us? Well, Israel is taken over. There's two things we see God doing here in verse 1 and 2. Verse 1, God's sentence. What does that mean? God is doing what exactly he said he was going to do. Remember last week we talked about the Mosaic Covenant? Listen, you follow God's plan. You follow God's law. There's blessing. But when you disobey, there's consequence. Through the prophets, through the times of Israel being taken over, God told, this is going to come. This will happen. It's God's sentence. God said, you're going to be taken over. This is what's going to happen because of your disobedience. So it's God's sentence. There's no question this was going to happen. God said it. Now, who is taking them over? Who is besieging Israel? Well, Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar. He was a brutal, powerful, ambitious leader. His name, his father named him after the Greek god of wisdom and prophecy, Nebu, which is kind of ironic because who did he have to get to prophesy and interpret dreams for him? So he really didn't, he didn't live up to his name. But Nebuchadnezzar was named after the god of wisdom and prophecy. Is also, history tells us, was he was very short-fused and hot-tempered. Actually, there's two illustrations in Scripture. Of course, we will read in a few weeks, Daniel chapter 3. We know the story. You don't bow down to a graven image that, make, that is made of me, golden, made of Nebuchadnezzar. What happens to you? You get thrown into the fiery furnace. You disobey King Nebuchadnezzar. You will die. 2 Kings 25 tells another story where he captured King Zedekiah. He tied King Zedekiah up, brought his two sons out in front of him, slaughtered them in front of Zedekiah, and then right after they slaughtered him, they plucked his eyes out. So the last thing that Zedekiah seen was his sons being murdered. Sounds like a really nice guy. He was a psycho. Nebuchadnezzar was a wingnut whack job. He was. I'm just, it, he, that's who he was. Remember, though, God put him there. Just like in our life, God puts leaders where he wants them. 
I like what Proverbs 21.1 says. It says this, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. Isn't that a great promise? Yes, we look wide, Nebuchadnezzar. This is crazy. God's got a plan for Daniel and his friends. So Babylon. What is Babylon? Where is Babylon? Well, Babylon is no more, but we read in Revelation that Babylon will rear its head during the tribulation period. But Babylon, ancient Babylon, according to Greek historian Herodias, here's some things to know about Babylon. Babylonian, Babylon, if it was located today, would be about 55 miles south of Baghdad. I know Matt served in the army. He was over there in that area. Babylon would be 55 miles south of where Baghdad is. It's a really fruitful country, isn't it? Matt? Yeah. No, I'm joking, of course. The city was 60 miles in circumference where they had walls around the 60, 60 miles of the, of the city. The walls were 85 feet thick. 300 feet high. Can you, can you think of that with me for a minute? 85 feet thick, 300 feet high, and every 65 feet throughout the wall, there were guard shacks to watch for enemy. It was protected by a moat. Actually, the rivers Euphrates flowed right through the city of Babylon. Get this, in the city, roads... 65 feet wide, paved in limestone, with retention walls and decorations of mosaic, of lions and dragons. This was thousands of years ago. Babylon was a force to be reckoned with. They were a city of commerce and of authority. So this is where Daniel and his buddies are going. A city that flourished, a city that is run by a lunatic. Just to put things in perspective for us. We see this is because God sentenced them because of disobedience. This is why Israel's going through this. But secondly, we see this is God's setup. Look at verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. Look, the Lord gave Jehoiakim. The Lord gave Israel into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Why did he do this? Why did God allow this? I want you to say a word with me. I'm going to say the word influence. Say it. Influence. Can't hear you. Influence. When we get to the end of this first chapter, you're going to see the puzzle in place where men of God, who were not scared to back down, were in positions of influence. This reminds us of another story in the, in the Old Testament. The book of Genesis, like by the guy by the name of Joseph. Think about the story of Joseph and the story of Daniel. Some similarities. Remember, we talked about in Job, God is always working in the backstages of our life. God is working in the backstages here. Nebuchadnezzar and all the kings are pawns in God's hands. So young people, I just want you to listen to me this morning because I know you probably don't listen to me any other time. I know my kids don't. They do. I'm just kidding. Daniel was your age. He was placed in a place of influence, to do something for God. What is God leading you to do? Where does God have you in your life? I hate where I am. I hate my school. I hate my family. I hope not. I hate this. I hate... God has you there for purpose and reason. God has you there to be an influence. Adults, the same thing. Why are you where you are at today? For influence. And you may think this. 
Well, influence is for people who are important. That's false. God made you. He created you. Psalms 139. He formed you in your mother's womb. He gave you exactly what you needed to live your life. He loves you. You're not important to God. That's a false, that's a lie from Satan. God has you right where he wants you to be an influence for him. Let's continue reading our story, verse 3 through 5. So Israel taken over by Nebuchadnezzar. It's a sentence from God, but God is in it. It's a setup for God, for God to do his thing, which he always does. Verse 3, the king commanded Aspenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. There were, in the, there were to be educated for three years. At the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. I was talking to Judy this week, uh, yesterday, I said, and the kids, I said, your dad probably would not have been taken with this group of people. This was 4.0 student people here. I'm like C average. Uh, Jay, you can stay behind here in Israel. This was the smart people. These were the individuals that were, were well-groomed in Jewish tradition, and, and Nebuchadnezzar knew these folks would be good, these young people. And look who they took, royal family, families of nobility, youths without blemish, good appearance, good-looking people, skillful in all wisdom. The cream of the crop here, here is who Nebuchadnezzar was grabbing. See, Nebuchadnezzar was, was flexing his geopolitical muscles here. He took Daniel, his three friends, and thousands of others into the palace of Babylon to be groomed to be Babylonians. Understand this, and I, this one thing I had to get in my mind when I was studying this. They weren't going to be slaves. They weren't going to be in a dump hole and sit in a, in a dungeon like we read in Joseph's story. They were going to be treated like kings. This was a great draw for them. But just like there's any great draw in the world, there's some things we need to think about. So this morning, I'd like to look at three principles or, or three factors this morning that we can learn from the book of Daniel in the area of our story. Number one is this. The world demands conformity. The world demands conformity. Nebuchadnezzar wanted these young people to forget about where they were from, what they learned. And there's ways that he did that. First, he isolated them. He took them out of their home, away from family, friends, their faith. He wanted them to forget about everything that they ever learned or been around. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many times have we felt isolated in our faith? Out of our comfort zone. Around those individuals who don't know Jesus, you don't know what to do, you don't know what to say, you don't know how to act or how to respond. That's Daniel. Daniel and his three friends, this is where they were going. So he isolated them. Two, he indoctrinated them. What does it say there in this text? For three years they would be taught. They would get a Bachelor of Science degree in Babylonian history and culture and religion. Three years. Some of us may have graduated college in three years. I not being one. Wow. Wow. Uh, someone's a fan out there. They say, yeah, that's true. This, and guess what they learned under 
Guess what they learned? Divination of spirits, omens of the sky, the gods of Babylon. These were the things that Daniel and his friends were going to be taught. So let me ask us a question this morning. Who indoctrinates us today? Well, young people, you guys know, that are in a uh, public school or in public colleges, education indoctrinates us. I can remember when we moved here and we were, became oversight over the college and career ministry, and some of our students were going to uh, Rowan College, Cumberland County College, and some of the professors, and they would come talk to me and say, Pastor, this professor, man, he's saying, if I'm a Christian, I'm going to have a hard time in this class. What's, 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 what does education want to do? They want to indoctrinate us in what they believe. Right? But for us to have a biblical worldview, we can listen to that stuff, but it's not, we're not going to be indoctrinated by it. Who else indoctrinates us today? I'm going to say it, you're going to know it. The media. The media indoctrinates us. We let it happen. Scroll through our, our pages like, oh my, that's happening. Oh my goodness, that's happening. Oh my goodness. Right? We get all worried, all worked up. The media and education indoctrinates us. But when we have the biblical worldview, it should just be a glimpse, okay, like Daniel's own. Yep, I'll go through that teaching. Yep, I'll learn that. But here's the true story. Here's what we believe because of the Word of God. He isolated them, indoctrinated them. We see there in verses 6 and 7, he renamed them. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And I, and I had to, as I was studying this, I wanted to start really memorizing their Hebrew names. Because we know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you were to ask them that, hey, don't call me that. <laughs> because that referenced Babylonian gods. So I'm trying to get out of, okay, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Daniel was called Belshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. And Azariah, we call, he called Abednego. These were Babylonian God names. Actually, Daniel in the Hebrew means God is my judge. You know what it means in Hebrew? It means in, in, in Babylonian, the Babylonian God named Belshazzar. God saved the king. Think of Daniel's story. Isn't that ironic? Daniel influenced four kings for God. Interesting. See, I think this was the lowest of all tactics. Can you imagine someone taking your name, your mom gave you, away from you? All of us, maybe some, not all of us, some of us have a name that were given to us by our mom or dad. We're named after a, a mom, a grandmother, a dad, a grandfather. It means something. In the Jewish tradition, remember, they were given a name that meant something that the parents wanted their young people to fulfill what that name meant. It was spiritual. Nebuchadnezzar took their names from them and gave them new names. There's a story of, a, of a, a, a young family in Iceland who had a baby girl, and they named her Blair. However, they could not name her Blair based on the government's documents, that the government agency that says there's only a certain list of names that you can name a child. It's interesting. And Blair was not one of them. And so as the parents went to the highest courts to kind of overthrow this decision, do you know what this girl's name had to be until it was finalized? That girl. Can you imagine that girl? Hey, what's your name? That girl. Hey, that girl, come here. 
how degrading that is. Nebuchadnezzar knew what he was doing here. He was messing with their mind. Well, good news is they won the court case and she got to keep Blair, so she's not that girl anymore. The last thing we see Nebuchadnezzar doing here, he intimidated them. Look at verse 5. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. Church, this was a wow factor. Young teenagers, I don't think anything has changed in cultures. You put a food in front of a teenager, it's gone, right? Yes. It would be like if someone from a third world country would come to our church and we would take them out to eat. We would take them to Shady Maple in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Whoa! Food beyond. These young people were in the king's court eating the king's food. Why is that intimidating? There's something you need to know about this food. This food was sacrificed to the gods of Babylon before they ate it. And guess what? When we look at Exodus chapter 34, verse 15, it says that the Jewish people are forbidden to eat flesh that was sacrificed to pagan gods. Hence, now we have a problem. Daniel has to make a decision here. But how many of us, before we get to that, how many of us get intimidated at our jobs, at school, at our families? We want to stand up for what is right. But we're intimidated. We have all been there. I'm the first to raise my hand. I have been intimidated in my faith to stand up at times. Daniel here has a choice. Will he stand up? Will his friends stand up for what is right? You see, when the world tries to conform us, there's a second thing we need to do. We need to have the courage within to stand. And that courage only comes through the power of God. Look at verse 8. But, circle that word, but, that's a transition. Here's what's happening. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. This is one area that Daniel could not go with. He had to stand his ground. He would not defile the law of God as was read in in Exodus 34. Do you notice that he asked? He asked the chief eunuch. Daniel was not arrogant. He was not rude to them. Remember, he was about 15, 16 years old. He was showing respect. Knowing about what he was going to do could have cost him his life. A little 15-year-old kid saying, no, man, listen, I can't do this. All right, off with your head. That's really what should have happened here. Historically, you didn't mess with Nebuchadnezzar. But he asked, remember who he was, a godly young man. And he stood up, "I, I, I can't do this because of my faith. See, the significance here is not that Daniel was just not willing to face consequences, but his faith in God, that God was going to protect him. He determined to make that decision based on his conviction of the law of God. So what do we see Daniel doing here? Hey, take me from my home. Fine, I'll go with the flow. Fine, you want to indoctrinate me? You want to educate me in Babylonian garbage? Fine, I'll get a degree in that. Fine, I'll do it. You want to change my name? Fine, call me Belshazzar. Great. But ask me to eat food, sacrifice to idols. 
I can't. I can't. See, Daniel and his three friends could have easily said, hey, when in Babylon, do as Babylon. Hey, what happens in Babylon stays in Babylon. Many of the thousands of young people that went with, with Daniel, we don't read about them here standing up. They went with the flow. And no one back home in Jerusalem would have known if they would have eaten, they would have disobeyed this command. They stood up and were counted for. You see, I think there's going to be areas where we as Christians are going to need to stand up and be counted for respectfully, being honorful to, 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 to people in, in positions of leadership. We talked about it during the, the time of the election. There's things that are biblical that we must stand for. Abortion, the transgender issue, the sexuality issue. These are things, Christians, that we're going to have to stand for very respectfully. What will we do? How will we handle it? Paul tells the church in, in, in Colossae, in, in Colossians 4, 5, and 6, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be seasoned with salt and filled with grace. Paul tells the church in Ephesus, speak the truth in love. Daniel was telling the eunuch, I, I, I can't do this. I'm asking you, don't let me defile myself. We can be the same person standing up with love and respect and saying, I can't do this. I can't support this. I can't sign this. And let God do his thing. Amen, church? We have got to, if the time is coming, church, the time is coming. So what happened now in the story? Daniel stands up. I can't do this. I can't do this. Look at verses 9 through 16. I just want to quickly overview this passage of Scripture just because of time. But verse 9 says, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Here's where God comes in. You think the worst is going to happen here. You're waiting for Daniel's head to roll here. And God gave Daniel favor with this eunuch. I'm just going to summarize here. Here's what happened. So the eunuch goes back to Daniel and says, Daniel, listen, I hear you. But listen, I picked you out for the king and your buddies because you were healthy and you looked good. If you don't eat and you stand before the king, he says here, my head's going to roll. Okay? So Daniel, get a teenager. Look at verse 11. I'm oh, sorry, verse 12. He says, you're given this option. Okay, listen, test your servant for 10 days. Okay, let us eat vegetables and water. And everyone else that you brought over, let them eat the king's food. And then you stand us up with each other and see who's healthy. And you then you make the choice. You choose. Daniel's faith that God was going to come through is amazing as a teenager. Young people, listen to this. He had his faith in God that God was going to come through for him. Like, he could have lost his life here. Guess what happened? For 10 days, they ate vegetables and water, and everyone else ate the king's bounty, the king's food. And look what happened. Verse 15, at the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. 
I, I don't know about you. I don't eating vegetables and water for 10 days. I guarantee I wouldn't be fatter. <laughs> None of us would be. This was a God thing. This was a God thing. Verse 16. So the stewards took away their food and wine. They were to drink and gave them vegetables. So there's an important lesson here this morning. Stand up with the courage inside of us to stand up for God, even in hostile environments. See, our loyalty is not like the king's service, like Daniel and his friends had to make a determination. But it's our country, it's our business, it's our friends, it's our political party. Things we will fight, that will fight for our ultimate loyalty. But when issues come up, like were mentioned in a, f- a few moments ago, what will you stand and do? What will you stand and say? You notice there's only four mentioned here in the text, four Hebrews that stood up out of thousands. Thought. Life is full of decisions. There's a lot of forks in the road that we come up to. For some of us, it's that click of the mouse that takes us in a direction we should not go. For some, it's things that come out of our mouth that we say, that we speak. Will you choose to make a wise decision to follow what God's word says all the time? You see, Nebuchadnezzar was trying to conform Daniel and his friends to that culture by keeping them away from truth. But the truth was in them, and they stood up when the time came to make that right decision. So you put him in a a hostile political environment. You put him in a pagan religious system. You, I mean, Daniel should have been killed. As we'll find out in a few moments, no doubt people were jealous of Daniel and his friends. What happened to Daniel? He thrived. Say the word with me. me. Why did God have him there? Influence. Say it again with me. Influence. See, when we stand up for what is right, Our final point this morning is this. God honors loyalty. God honors loyalty to him. See, when you live a certain way, when you make decisions that honor God, when we follow God's word and we obey his commands, God honors our lives. Yes, when you make a decision for God, yes, someone's not going to throw you on their shoulders. Woohoo, yeah, you did it. It's not how it works. But God sees, God hears. Look what happens, verse 17. For these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all the literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. So here we go. Their three-year college education is over. They, they got all the education they could, and they're coming to stand before the king. Verse 19, and the king spoke with them. And among them, none was found, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, as they stood before the king. And look at verse 20. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired them, he was giving them a a job test here of their knowledge, he found them ten times better than the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. Do you see how jealousy could fit in here amongst the Babylonian unit here? Here is four refugees coming in, and they're ten times better 
than your buddy's kids who are working with you. And he's trying to get them a job. Well, these guys come in and they blow everyone out of the water. Say the word with me again. Influence. God had a plan for Daniel and his friends to be in this position in Babylon for his purpose, for influence. Remember how we started our message this morning? Why was God taking these folks out of Israel? This makes no sense. We ask ourselves the same questions, though. God, why why do you have me here? Not church, I'm just talking life. Why do you have me in my job? My, 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 my co-workers are just like a bunch of jerks. My neighbors are like the Griswolds on steroids, you know. They're, they're bizarre. They're weird. Why do you have me living here? Why do you have me working here? Kids, why do you have me going to school here? Influence. Influence. What are you doing with that influence this morning? Look at verse 21. And Daniel was there in Babylon until the first king, first year of King Cyrus. Four kings. Daniel remained there and had influence. He was in high position in the Babylonian government. Was it a mistake? No. God had them there for influence. I want you to think about something else. Influence didn't stop at his death, I believe. It didn't. We just came through Christmas, and what's one of the Christmas songs that we sing? We don't usually sing it because theologically we know there was more than three wise men, but we three kings of Orient are bearing gifts we travel. You know that song, right? I like to believe that these wise men that came from the east, that came 800 miles to Jerusalem, they knew about this Daniel. Why? Because Daniel had a position over who? The Magi. The wise men. And hundreds of years later, here is a group of Magi traveling east, following the words of Daniel. See, Daniel, in the influence of his position, was able to share with them this future Messiah that would be born in Bethlehem. His influence went beyond his years. For us, it's the same way. Where are you at? Don't look at where you're at in life as a a chore, like I can't believe. God has you there for influence. How are you influencing those around you? Moms, you may say, okay, I'm just at home with the kids. You are a big influence. You have a job that none of us dads want. We love and respect what you do. You have influence. I want to ask you to be one of two things. You choose. You're either going to be a thermometer where you adapt to the culture. Probably some of us looked at our thermometer this week when it was snowing. See, okay, am I going to, the rose is going to freeze. Do I have to dress a certain way? Why the thermometer adapts to the environment. But then there's a thermostat that regulates temperature. Daniel was a thermostat. He set the bar. He set the standard. But those thousands of other Hebrew, Hebrews that came with him, they were thermostats, I mean, th- uh, thermometers. They just went with the flow. 
There's some things that are happening in our world, church, that we must be ready for. Uh, the pastors were passing some things around this week in Denmark. They're voting to actually make pastors send in their sermons for approval to the government. It's happening. The decision for us to be a thermostat is coming. The prime minister of France said this this week. He says, evangelicals are a very important problem. We can't discuss with people who refuse to write on paper that the law of the land is more important than the law of God. Are you ready to be a Daniel? I don't usually quote individuals other than pastors or the, the word of God, but Ben Shapiro is a Jewish talk show host, conservative talk show host. And I'm reciting this because I think every pulpit in America, every pastor should say what he said, even though I don't believe he is a, a Christian. In talking about this issue of abortion and arguing with the Canadian prime minister, which, who said that you pro-life people, you're just not with the program. And here's what Ben Shapiro said, very simple. Righteousness does not have to be popular. It just has to be righteous. Wow. Righteousness does not have to be popular. It just has to be righteous. That should be preached at pulpits across the world. Because Christians, the time is going to come where we're going to have to make a decision. Will we be a thermometer and just go with the flow? Or be a thermostat and be like a Daniel. Remember what we said? Yes, we have, we have to follow suit with stuff in culture. We get it. You want to change our name? You want to isolate us? You want to educate us? Fine. But there's some things that go against this book that we have to say, we can't do that. And we let God do his thing. So church, I, my encouragement this morning is go out in your world and be an influence. Stand up and be that Daniel. Can we do that together? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. Lord, help us, Father, to make a, a decision. All of us. I, I can't make a decision for my family. I can't make a decision for the other pastors. I can't make a decision for the church. We all, Father, have to come at a point that I am going to stand up and be counted for for you. Just take a few moments as your head bowed and eyes are closed. Just evaluate your life. Where you're at, are you really being an influence in your world, in your job, in your family, in your culture? Are you really being an influence for the things of God? And if you are great, continue to do that. If, if you're not, we can change that. You can change that. And say, God, I, I want to be an influence in the world in which I live. Help me to be like Daniel. Father, we pray that we would do just that. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. But we know that you are our God and you have a plan for our life. And we will serve you no matter what happens. We ask this your son's holy and precious name.